Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 13 of Inside Weekly Trends. We are your co-hosts, Brian and Landon. Brian, busy week with the news. How's it going? Crazy week. Lots of stuff going on. I mean, every week's crazy these last couple of months, but we, we got a ton to talk about. Consumer news, business news, inside.com news, yeah. all over the board. Yeah. Let's start in that order. Let's talk about Apple. Um, sure. They had some really awesome product announcements in their WWDC. Um, Brian, I know you're a big Apple fan as well. I've been watching these since yeah. I was younger consistently. Yeah. Um, and I have to say that this was one of the more exciting ones. So let's roll through a few of these products. Um, it was a long list, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the Worldwide Developer Conference, it's, it's typically software focused, but mm -hmm. we got some hardware news this week. And then we can talk a little bit about what wasn't announced that everybody's talking about anyway. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the first point, I believe, is the headset. Um, what did you learn about that one? Well, the headset is not did not actually get announced, but I think everybody's anticipated result down the line is that we're going to see that announced perhaps in January, and that's a you know a headset that's going to have some you know XR features. Uh, potentially, this could you know be a bridge into whatever follows the iPhone for Apple in terms of its big product. So there's a lot of pressure on this product to succeed, right? Totally. Like Apple, the Apple depends on iPhone for, you know, bulk of its revenue. And this is, this is going to be a device that sets a new standard and, you know, Apple's going to take a big chance on whatever they release. So it's, and, it's not out, but everybody's talking about what's coming. And these are more than just rumors though. I mean, they've hired mm -hmm. and been hiring key mm -hmm. people to fill these roles. I believe that they're making, um, you know, content XR mm -hmm. related, um, and you know, we've seen like the mock-ups, the specs, but I can mm -hmm. totally see something coming out soon. And I agree that what the iPhone did, you know, for culture, you know, that was like really their big mm -hmm. hardware and we need something new from Apple. Um, mm -hmm. and, you know, a lot of people have asked for a car. A lot of people have asked for different things, but I think yeah, the, the car is the other mystery project going yes. on that they've cycled through people and teams and hiring and, uh, rumor cycles and, uh, who knows what else behind the scenes. Totally. Um, yeah. A few of these products I want to talk about were ones mm -hmm. that were directly, you know, taking shots at other, you know, well-known companies. So mm -hmm. the first they released uh, for Apple Wallet, a buy now, pay later feature, uh, yeah. very reminiscent of a lot of companies that we've seen, Affirm, et cetera. Sure. Um, let's sure. talk about what Apple's trying to bring here. And, uh, you know, if we are going to see Affirm, you know, maybe shares drop more than they have. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, who might be able to win this race? Yeah, you've seen Apple creep steadily forward in terms of its payments and even banking to some extent options. I mean, when they launched their own credit card with Goldman Sachs yep. uh, that integrates with Apple Pay and has a you know very, you know, very, very nice user experience that it puts forward for people using with, with that card. Now, there were some there was some news a while back, a few months ago, about them uh, pushing forward with Simone, saying they were going to do some of their own banking types of services under the hood, and shook things up a little bit for for some ecosystems, right, for payments. But now they're getting into this buy now pay later thing, which I, I think you know Jigney was uh, who, who writes our inside e commerce yeah. newsletter every day was on a while back here on the podcast talking about. Uh, why buy now pay later is a growing trend that we see from services like you mentioned. So this is another place where Apple's going to try to take up some space and perhaps become a dominant player in an already competitive place. Yeah, totally. And then another one was um, I know we had uh, the CEO of Camo on our show, mm -hmm. oh, uh, on our show oh, boy. in our ecosystem a mm -hmm. while ago. And uh, Camo mm -hmm. it allows you to, um, you know, 
plug your phone into your computer and use your phone as an external camera. Mm-hmm. Um, and guess so what Apple announced this week? An external uh, <laughs> camera, <laughs> pretty similar to camo. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's an actual clip that you can plug mm-hmm. into the back of your computer. Um, mm-hmm. And the reason for this is because, you know, yes, they can continue to update their webcams, but at the end of the mm-hmm. day, you know, our iPhone cameras are pretty good. They're amazing. Yeah, pretty good. Um, we see, you know, famous photographers creating content on iPhones, you know, and even, mm-hmm. you know, amateur, you know, people creating mm-hmm. great content using their cameras for Instagram, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. So it would only make sense um, to use it. But I know this has become a meme um, mm-hmm. around the internet where, you know, it just they couldn't go through the um, sure. the ease of creating a new webcam. They had to go through the well, trouble. Of, I'd love yeah. to know what the behind the scenes story <laughs> is on this uh, at Apple, because uh, a lot of people who were following the release of the last uh, ex- the last monitor release from Apple were really wondering how good the camera was going to be. And when it shipped, I think there were a lot of people who were a little disappointed because yeah. there are high standard. People have high expectations for Apple hardware when it ships. And I get back to the headset. People have really high expectations. Apple is setting itself up to you know, really need to deliver there. So when these monitors shipped, the first thing a lot of people noticed was, hey, these webcams on here, when I do video calls on this big monitor I bought from Apple, that's a really nice monitor doesn't really have that compelling of a, a picture it's putting yep. out of me. So that that really opened a space for companies like Camo to get in there and show give people an alternative uh, that, that's an easy alternative to slip in there. So I really wonder if this was a step they took after they came up short with that camera in that monitor or if it was something that was you know already in the works and and planned planned to come out. Uh, it, I, I'd love to know the inside inside story about that. Yeah, I am. But it, but it is a very cool option if if you have a camera and you want to do that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and then you want to talk briefly about some other you know products that we knew were coming out, and uh, obviously you know so you have an iPhone. Yeah. yeah, MacBook Air, MacBook Pro. Uh, we have sure. Yeah, I don't chip. have a lot of feelings on. The, I don't have a hard, a lot of extreme feelings about the MacBooks. It seems yeah. like a good general processor upgrade. Uh, we'll see how they do with managing the memory in those as people are doing a lot of busy tasks. I think that's that's one thing a lot of people are looking for improvements on and would like to see. Uh, there were also, you know, the, the software updates, honestly, for iOS are what I was most interested in because I, I really, really cool. like, yeah, I really like some of the new customizations they're rolling out. They're really, it's, some of the, these upgrades are really simple, yes. but I think they'll, they'll be really meaningful to a lot of people because they're going to change the daily experience of what they see, how you can customize alerts on the, the lock screen, uh, you know, and I'm sure a lot of Android people will be the first to step up and say, hey, I had these features on my uh, Android phone a long time ago. As I, we we're catching up. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you what, when Apple follows, they follow very well. And that's that's just the truth of it, usually. Yeah, totally. Um, so as you know, we're recording this on a Thursday, Brian. We saw mm-hmm. some other big news come yeah. um, you know, from the tech world yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to do with Flexport. Um, mm-hmm. So it was announced on Twitter from uh, CEO Ryan Peterson that he'll be taking on an executive uh, chairman role. Um, mm-hmm. And he'll be joined by uh, co-CEO Dave Clark leaving Amazon to become yeah. the new co-CEO to CEO of right. Flexport. So, so Clark made big headlines when he announced last week that he was going to leave Amazon. Clark, Dave Clark was in charge of Amazon's uh, consumer business, which mm-hmm. is a big worldwide you know, consumer. Yeah, yeah, big, big worldwide consumer business that's has a lot of logistics involved, includes Amazon Prime and Whole Foods business. He's very respected for his work, has a mm-hmm. very successful track record building that out. I think as soon as he, 
announced that he was leaving. There was a lot of speculation about who might be making offers to him. Did yeah. he already have an offer in the bag? And you know what? This week we got an answer to that, and he's going to go over to Flexport, which uh, is a really interesting company. They're about eight years old, I believe, eight, nine years old. Yeah. Uh, they started it. in 2013. 2013, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, 2013. And, um, you know, Ryan founded the business, and now, uh, you know, it's worth $8 billion. Mm -hmm. um, of course, they have outside investment now, but, um, you know, a lot mm -hmm. of the news for Flexport came along, just their unique journey, you know, and not mm -hmm. receiving a lot of funding early. Uh, you yeah. know, a lot of this was a, bootstrapped and um you know it's become such a powerful tool um for supply chain shipping uh, it's an interesting off, founder off story right yeah. peterson founded it because he was having a lot of frustrations shipping things through the current uh you know sea shipping system yep. and dealing with uh, a lot of you know pen and paper tracking systems that yep. uh, are really amazing I mean, when you learn about how, how things are still being done, even, even in this decade, uh, right, he, he's trying to disrupt that and do a lot of stuff that you know, I think a lot of people can acknowledge the common problem yep. for. Uh, and, and create more transparency sure. I mean, for people who are mm -hmm. shipping things as well. And that's what mm -hmm. the software does. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I think that this is going to be a big move. And uh, Ryan had a very interesting quote because, uh, you know, we just spoke mm -hmm. about how influential Dave is and how he built uh, really this, um, you know, segment at uh, Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, Ryan said that, you know, we weren't looking for another executive. We're looking for a builder, you know, we're looking for mm -hmm. a founder. And I guess, you know, even mm -hmm. Dave, uh, since he was a part of Amazon, it uh, doesn't mean that he didn't build this whole, um, you know, area for Amazon. So I think mm -hmm. that's a really powerful quote that Ryan shared. Yeah. I mean, this is going to be a huge second feather in his cap if he has another successful growth story building it, exactly like you're saying here mm -hmm. in this context. For, for me, the big question is how does his Amazon experience and culture, work culture experience there translate into Flexport's culture? Sure. Amazon notoriously has a very driven and unique way of doing things. And you know, I've read stories about execs hopping to other companies, especially tech and companies, culture, and, fi yeah. and finding that there are just very, very significant cultural differences. So I, I think it's very clear that he has the experience in smarts. We'll see how he fits. And of course, I mean, this is a, this is a big step for Peterson to take, right? As a as a founder to um, begin sharing that responsibility and step away like that. But it's also an opportunity to build things right right now. While you have so many supply chain issues going on in the world, the there's there is a context and a groundwork laid for success in a context where success will have a, a greater meaning. I think when supply chain issues are worked out in the world to to get better from where they are now. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. I think the timing couldn't be better. And. Uh, mm -hmm. Ryan is a is a great guy. He spoke at the All In Summit, so that's another thing. I, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think I actually first heard him talk for the first time on a, a this week in startups. This yeah, week in startups, I think yeah, it was yeah. uh, back or maybe, maybe early mid pandemic. I forget yep. the exact time, but um, smart guy has a lot a lot of great commentary to offer on on the issues that are going on today. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, Let's hop forward to the last one, which is uh, for me a local story. Um, for you, I mean, I know you're from the Bay Area originally. I'm visiting uh, home this weekend, though. Oh, amazing! On Friday, so I'm excited now. On Friday, <laughs> I'll, I'll miss you by a couple of days. I'll be coming yeah. into the yeah. I'll be passing through the airport this weekend as well. But, um, but yeah, so let, let's talk about it. What, what's the news there? Yeah, so um, obviously, if you follow Jason, if you follow David Sachs, or just have you know any. Um, you know, following you know, any number person. of vocal San yeah. Francisco area political figures right now, yeah. you probably know that there was an election this past week and there was a vote, uh, a recall vote on 
for uh, San Francisco's Francisco's, Yep, San Francisco's district attorney. San Francisco. Um, yeah. You know what? What can we say here? And Brian, I want to hear more about your perspective because you've been living here um, in the Bay, yep. um, and you know because we see a whole lot of stuff on Twitter. You know, Chess mm-hmm. is really allowing a lot of this crime to happen, et cetera. I mean, do you feel that as well as a resident? Yeah, and I mean, let's be be explicit. I don't live in San Francisco, and I didn't mm-hmm. vote in this. Uh, you know, I I worked in San Francisco in the financial district for about five years, and I've had a lot of experience going in and out of there for various things. So, you know, I, I am in in touch with a lot of what's going on here. I, I think. It, so, what was it? I, do you know the final vote tally? It was more than sixty percent voted. More to than sixty percent. More than sixty. Like little. There was a pre-vote, so like I, I think a lot mm-hmm. of people already knew that this was, um, you know, looking like mm-hmm. a recall. But um, you know, it's a, it was official on the seventh, I believe, this is when the vote was. Yeah. So he, he's he's out of office. I, the thesis by the campaign to get rid of him was that he was letting crime run rampant and that the city was becoming unsafe. There there are multiple ways to parse the stats on there. I, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, I approach this first and foremost from a perspective that I think is summed up best by the fake Richard Nixon account on Twitter, mm-hmm. which I don't know if you follow, but it's a great source of political commentary. Yep. And he follows the thesis for everything that all politics is local, not national. Yep. So I, I bristle a little bit at some of the national narratives that try to get baked in here about the death of progressivism or the like massive national crime problem that's going on because if you look at the stats in san francisco it's a little bit more nuanced than that a lot of violent crime is actually down over time however motor vehicle theft is is up higher i think Uh, burglary is is up but not to the same extent Um, however all of this lays a context of visible and widespread crime that people relate to and understand and see, right? And this is all in addition to uh, a wave of, uh, I think, anti-Asian violence that's been occurring, that's been very noteworthy and has not visibly been addressed to the satisfaction of the electorate in San Francisco. All of that left him open to this criticism and this vote. And that was his weakness right here. Mm. And the other thing I'd add to that Boy, I'm not a, I'm not like a career political commentator, but yeah. uh, San Francisco has a very unique local political environment. And I think uh, one thing I, a lot of people miss from outside of the area is that progressive doesn't mean the same thing to everybody in San Francisco, yep. politics and, and the Bay Area. And just sitting in and learning and wrapping your head around what different people mean when they say they're progressive is kind of a fight for the word in and of itself. And this is, you know, there are alliances, there is there is solidarity among certain people who align themselves with this progressive identity. But right now there is a fight to define what that really means. And some people have different priorities. Some people who don't share those priorities may share sub priorities. But uh, right now he's, he's suffering from a perceived lack of delivering on results here. And, you know, I think anybody should be able to agree that politics and policy should be results driven and, right now uh, he doesn't have that to show quantifiably and that that's what hurt him at the end of the day very it's, well said. That, that's my take on it yeah no i love that and uh you know our founder and ceo jason calacanis was just on the megan kelly show speaking a lot about this as well i, watched, I did watch that clip. yeah yeah no 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 it's uh really good and 
I just think that, um, you know, this is uh, this is good for the city of San Francisco, but I'm really curious about, uh, you know, what, uh, the, the next what happens in the next year is going to be really It depends good. on who replaces them and what kind yeah. of policies get put forward. I think the other thing to bring up is that this was really a warning shot, I think, to London Breed, the mayor, yeah. who, again, also identifies as a progressive. I don't think she shares all of the same progressive values. She's a little bit more centrist in some yeah. ways than, than Chesa Boudin is. But um, this is what I mean when I say different nobody likes to be challenged on being a progressive they like to try to which which makes it a very difficult conversation to have because people are talking about different things when they use that word yeah. so um with her she's going to be hunkering down and yeah, on the she put out a statement right uh, yeah she, she, she's she's recommitting to you know quote unquote did she say progressive policing policies yeah I, I think was the quote yeah that's um, how she worded it Right. Um, again, we'll see what that means in practice. Uh, you know, it's I hear this and I know people like to just challenge over like oh, progressivism is bad. Progressivism is good. For me, it's like, what's the outcome of the policy you're putting forward? And I think that's what politicians should be judged by. You know, what results do they get by the policies that they've tried to implement while in office? And that's that's how you should judge an incumbent. So um, we'll see what she does and we'll see how she moves uh, after this, because uh, I think she and certainly other politicians in San Francisco know that there is, uh, you know, there's, there's, an ac there's, accountab there's accountability on the line yes. right now. Totally. Yeah, no, very well said, Brian. Mm -hmm. um, so we've had some really exciting events, you know, happen at Inside over the past two weeks. Oh, uh, right. Let's get into events. Yeah, let's talk. Of these. Yeah, sure. Um, let's start off with you because I know we've had some good uh, venturing in VC conversations going yeah. on this week. So this was from venturing in VC episode twenty one, just released yeah. uh, Thursday morning of this week. Um, and so Tyler has um, a firm called the Calm Company Fund, and yeah. I will say that uh, you know we invite a lot of unique. VCs on venturing VC, but the structure and thesis of his firm was one that I had never heard of before. And uh, it actually was really interesting. So mm -hmm. they invest within every stage of software and software enabled businesses. Uh, but again, they're not a typical VC. Um, a lot of VCs, you know, they're looking for these home run returns. They want to 100x mm -hmm. their investments. Sure. Uh, but Calm Company Fund is not in the business of putting founders on a unicorn or bust trajectory. They don't endorse split scaling or growth at all cost. Um, their focus is to maximize the number of entrepreneurs that they support um, per, you know, their name kind of, it's Calm Company Fund. They're looking for these Calm companies and they define- Not to be calm. confused with the Calm app. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Originally I was calling yeah. it Calm Fund, but no, it's Calm yeah. Company Fund. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he really, um, he supports this idea that he wants to create these more calm companies, which are long-term mm -hmm. ambitious. So, you know, really companies that- Maybe, it's good branding. Know, five or 10x, but we'll be consistent over time. And I just um, thought that this clip is a really good one that we're going to share because he in it talks about, uh, you know, having a 15, 20, 25 year goal, not just, you know, the 10 years that we hear about VC. Um, he wants founders to think beyond that. So let's uh, let's play the clip. If you have a 15, 20, 25 year goal and you start to work backwards from what are the things that are going to be you know, the most likely obstacles or the most likely reason that I fail to get to those goals. Um, a lot of times you arrive at some sort of unintuitive answers. Like one of them would be, you know, you or key members of your team completely burning out. 
right? Another one might be like you destroy your relationship at home because you work like, you know, 100 hour work weeks and that works fine. And you're actually succeeding, you know, for seven straight years. And then on the eighth year, like you get divorced and it like wrecks your productivity, wrecks your life, you know, like all this kind of stuff. So if you take a sufficiently long enough view on how to be ambitious and hit good targets, what you often find is you want to take a little bit less risk all throughout it. And you want to be able to stay in the game for the long term. And so for calm companies, that means everything from, you know, running the companies at reasonable sort of expectations of how much people are going to work, thinking about how to retain your employees long term, mm -hmm. in many cases, running the business profitably, because, you know, another way that your business can die is you raise a bunch of money, you build your business in a way that you have to raise a bunch more money and you fail to raise that bunch more money. And so you just had an otherwise good business that got killed. Awesome. We're back. Um, so in this one, you know, he explains his core idea about staying in the game for a very long time um, mm -hmm. as a founder. Um, and, you know, we, we speak about this a lot, Brian, where it's exciting to see, you know, all the recent funding news. A lot of these companies are raising a lot of money and mm -hmm. maybe they're becoming unicorns in a way faster way. But that's just not baked into the thesis of Calm Company Fund. Um, mm -hmm. He views companies, you know, he really thinks that companies need to you know, build long-term success. Uh, so working back, it doesn't sound like it should be a controversial statement, but it, you know, I don't think so it actually yeah. really is. And I mean, when you think about the startup journey and how, especially when you're raising funding, you have to be so focused on your near term and your runway to be able to get to that next funding round, to get to the next growth stage you want. Yeah. And amid all of those sprints and steps you have to take, uh, sometimes the long-term picture can get lost and quite frankly, may not be a real priority in many cases as you're trying to find market fit mm -hmm. and you're trying to to pivot fast and and figure out what you can do. So it, it actually is a very compelling statement for him to make, even if yeah. it might not sound so at, you know at surf at the surface. I agree, and I um I even tweeted this morning that I think we're going to see more firms um you know similar to his be developed because mm -hmm. you know I just think yeah sure you know we, we all want the money fast but a lot of times it's better to like be more long term um, ambitious yeah. and focused. well especially during the current environment when yeah. investor a lot of VCs are going to be looking at who's able to survive during these worst case yep. conditions yeah. because they exactly. have long term value so exactly. I think what he has to say has a very very resonant uh, fit here in, yeah. in today. No, great interview. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we want to play a clip also from Meet Our Fund. Um, sure. So uh, which one are we going to be playing today? I think we've got uh, Andrew Gluck on the, uh, on, the, on the card here. Now, he is a general partner at, uh, you're going to have to help me, is that Irreverent? Irreverent, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I get tripped up sometimes when I see all those concepts. No, no worries. Yeah. Other, a lot of these unique names in the venture landscape. Yeah, let's, yeah. let's play this clip. So he's, he's looking for a different type of category uh, as he defines companies. And he has a very transparent approach to companies that cold email him. Cold emailing is something I think we should talk about more because it's such yes. a big part of everything we do in in journalism too, right? Yeah. But also as, as a founder, uh, fundraising. Uh, yeah, let's play the clip and, and talk about what he said. You know, category defining. I've never seen anything else like it, you know, and their roadmap in terms of what they want to build and how they want to build. It's just so different, you know. Are there other people trying to do it in different ways? Sure, you know, but no one that's doing it really this way. Yeah, good advice for D2C. And I know that there's a lot of them in the audience. So hopefully those connections will be made. Um, Andrew, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you being here. Sure. Uh, and one last thing I would just say, if you are you know interested in pitching me, um, if you go to reverend.com, 
There's a pitch off section. I look at every single cold inbound, the reply to every single cold inbound that I get. That's another thing that I think uh, you know is really important to me as a steward of capital is both fiduciary due to my LPs, but also to the founders and the and the ecosystem is someone reaches out to me, I'm always gonna take a look at the at the deck. Awesome. We're back right, in we're that back. quote right there. I read yeah. every cold email. Um, that's wow, a I mean, old I, statement. I wish I could say yeah. that. I wish I could say that. Right. <laughs> I think that I, says a lot about the VCs that we bring into our ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Just you know, how supportive yeah. they want to be for founders, um, mm-hmm. and the extra time that they want to put in to find these category defining companies. But Brian, maybe we can kind of um, break down in our thoughts and opinions, like what mm-hmm. makes a good cold email? Um, gets, give some advice to. Oh, I have so many people. thoughts on this, and I, I've, I've given this to a lot of people I know who work in PR, particularly because that's that's the main type of cold email I have I've received over the course of my career. Right, is is press release pit, pitches and mm-hmm. and story pitches, right? And it, it, to some extent, there's a similar need for both types of cold emails. You have to be short. You have to be direct. You have to yep. know what the person's going to care about. Yes. You have to show them that you've thought about what you're sending to them specifically on any basic, basic level. That Any basic level, you can relate to them and show them, hey, I've considered what I think you're going to be interested in, and I'm going to show you that I have what you're interested in. And at the end of the day, that's I think that's what it comes down to. Um, did, did you know personally who this was that you were going to send this cold email to? Uh, did you do any research to figure out, hey, I think I'm going to be a good fit for what they want to see? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I tell people. And you, you have to be direct. Honestly, I'd rather somebody be more direct in their first sentence and sum up the entire email in one sentence at the beginning to say, hey, here's the kind, in this case, you know, it's, you know, I believe my company fits the criteria you're looking for because I know you like this. Well, we do this, this, and this. Let's talk, right? I, to me, it can it should be as simple as that when you're talking about reaching out to somebody to fund your company. Yep, or you know to reach out to people to join your events and podcasts as I've been sure. doing. Um, so yeah, I really yeah. agree with a lot of things you mentioned there, Brian. You got to keep it short, keep it simple. I think the acronym is KISS. You know, like, keep it short, keep it simple. Sure. Um, and I no, gonna nobody's going to read a long email, and and yeah. if it is long, even if there's a chance they might read it, if it's too long for them to read within their life where you've met them at. They're going to close the email, maybe think about coming back to it later, but then there's a risk they might not come back to it ever again. Exactly. You got to rethink it. Like if you were to receive Mm -hmm. this, would you read the whole thing? And I know me personally, like unless I'm asking for additional information on something or Mm -hmm. I I know the incoming email uh, for cold emails, like I I don't read long cold emails. I mean, that's just um, a lot of people don't have time to do that. I mean, Um, as a reporter, if you write me a, a press release email and it's got a passive not engaging, not interesting subject line. Yeah, you know the, the chances I the chances I open it up to read it just dropped dramatically, right? Totally. Um, you know, is there is there a piece of news with like a subject verb object <laughs> relationship where I can see something happened, or is it just a noun, right? Like, yep. please never send a subject that's just a noun to anybody. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No. Very good advice there. Um, so now for our website, Brian, I believe oh, we yeah. have some fun updates, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. This has been a very cool week for inside.com on our homepage. We just implemented a new algorithm-driven ordering uh, system. So you're going to see uh, the most popular, most commented on, most engaged with content up top. We're still going to have timely content flowing up there every day. Uh, but this was a great week for surfacing some questions 
on the site. Uh, We recently opened up the site to allow people not just to post stories, but to post simple questions that they want to put before our community on there. And we got some really great community responses and community questions this week. The, The first one I wanted to hit, we had a really, really great question posted on the site this week from Jennifer Selka, Director of Veteran Programs at Camp, Camp Southern Ground. So she came on and said, how do you prioritize your well-being so you don't burn out? Uh, is this important to you or is this the self-care culture for the week? And it's a great question. I, you know, I'm sure anybody doing any type of work, especially during the pandemic, during some high you know, very, very dynamic, fast-changing circumstances that put pressure on top of pressure for many people uh, have thought about recently. So uh, she, she raised that question. A lot of great answers. There was, a, there was an answer that came up from a, a community member named, I hope, hope I say it right again, Dallin Stagg, mm-hmm. uh, consultant at uh, PwC. He said, I believe thinking you should work less to reduce burnout is often a mistake. Uh, at least I haven't found it work well for me, uh, which is an interesting way to phrase that. And I, I, to some extent, really agree with what he's saying, because a lot of people focus on working more when they should focus on working better, yes. which, which, which isn't to say that there aren't times where you do need to work more, because a lot of times you need to work more to learn how to work better. The more you work more, the more you learn what works and what doesn't work, and you learn how to kind of format your life and your work more efficiently. And that can free you up to be able to manage other things in, in, in tandem, right? Uh, however, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm also a proponent here this is my own thought on answering your question is that uh, communication is key, right? And yeah. I mean, my background is in, in writing and editing and communications and journalism. So uh, communication is one of my first answers to almost any problem, because if everybody doesn't understand what page you're on, chaos and looped work cycles are going to happen. And I think in my experience, at least, and observing other people, uh, when you do looped work cycles that are redundant and didn't need to happen, that's one of the fastest roads to burnout when somebody doesn't see a good result coming from what they're doing and they find themselves repeating something without a better result. So uh, yeah, I agree with them to that extent. What did you think of this? Yeah, I I just love this new feature. I love that we're allowing our community to kind of, you know, answer these questions Mm -hmm. and share their thoughts and opinions on things. And yeah, I I know um, Dallin's uh, quote there, I mean, really stood out. Um, Another one that we had on our site, um, if everybody remembers Dan Smith, he's one of our analysts, uh, writes our Inside Daily Brief newsletter. Um, He had a great question just on, you know, what book changed the way you think about life, work, and your career? I'd love to talk about an answer that we got that I totally agree with uh, from Laura Thomas, VP of Corporate Strategy at Cold Quanta. Uh, She mentioned Principles by Ray Dalio, one of my favorite books. Um, And in her words, um, many of the things that, um, you know, she read in that book, uh, you know, were just very impactful uh, in her life. And I think that Principles is not just a great business book, but also, you know, just a great life book. Um, you know, I haven't read it actually. Read. Everybody talks about it. And it's, it's, it's always one of those, one. it's like potentially a little bit, it's always a little way, a little ways down my, my queue. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's very popular. Yeah. 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 No, that was a great one. So I know I just asked a question on the website, favorite podcast. So if you happen to be listening <laughs> right now, um, you know, to our episode, make sure to put inside weekly trends for yours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's okay to answer inside weekly trends. We, we would encourage that. Yeah. 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 Um, the, I, I really liked uh, Adil Islam. He's a project management management lead at 
Petuum, I think it's mm-hmm. called. Um, so uh, he said the Foundation series by Asimov, Isaac Asimov, uh, simply because as a teenager, it led me to believe that the future can not only be predicted at the aggregate level, but altered through minor adjustments at Fulcra, which can, I think he means can be modeled, yeah. right? And I, that's an amazing, it, it is, I think it's an amazingly empowering takeaway from uh, Asimov's uh, foundation books. I don't know if anybody's watched the Apple series, which is a really cool oh, adaptation. Yeah, it's a very cool take on it. I highly recommend it. Um, it it's really well done. Uh, so yeah, it, very empowering. I One of the ones that I put up there, I think when, when Dan put up, put this question to everybody um, is a book called Linked. Uh, I'm going to tell you the, the name the name of that so I don't get his butcher his name uh, of the author but this is a book by Albert Laszlo Barbasi um, I think if you're getting into media or any type of business a startup that deals with uh, network effects and the behavior of groups of humans and how they recommend things associate things and prefer things based on social structures this is an awesome book to get into it had me think a lot differently about audiences when you're providing a media product to somebody mm-hmm. or, or writing stories for people um so that was the one i put on there i, I don't know what what's your favorite book landon that you, you put on this list i love uh, measure what matters by john dewar yeah um and i know that we're starting to talk about okrs a little bit uh, internally mm-hmm. and uh it's it's a great way to um you know prioritize your time and also like achieve uh these large goals so okrs um it's an acronym that stands for objective key results mm-hmm. Um, you know, in life, we have these big goals. I want to make a top podcast or mm. I want to start investing in the companies or I mean anything. I want to get a promotion. Mm. Um, but at times it's difficult to, you know, actually find the, um, you know, the insights and key results that you need to get there uh, to mm-hmm. accomplish those goals. Um, so the idea for OKR is, you know, you start with an objective. So top podcast and you actually quantify them with mm-hmm. key results. So what do you need to make a top podcast? You need to interview X amount of guests a week. Mm-hmm. You need to get X amount of downloads uh, sure. per episode. Um, and these are things that you can actually cross off your list. Uh, so you can know whether or not you're doing well um, or you need to bump it up and uh, do a little better to achieve these objectives. So I think that it's a really, really great way um, and you know, just great philosophy that a lot of companies are using internally, but then also a lot of individuals to accomplish these large objectives. Because it's one thing to just say it, you know, one thing to say that you want to do something, but um, you know, manifestation is nothing unless you actually put in the time to get there um, and really find unique ways um, to, you know, cross off what you're doing and also, you know, just capture these objectives. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's a great uh, book. Yeah. John Dewar, of course, is a you know legendary uh, name in the tech world. So you know he shares a lot of great advice in this book. That's really cool. Yeah, I, I'd encourage anybody to go look. It's actually a fantastic thread of people sharing uh, everything. It's got how many comments? Last I looked, thirty-seven comments on there from community members sharing the books they like. So if you're looking for books that'll have an impact on how you understand success, failure, just making your life or work better, go to cool inside.com. <laughs> yeah, please. It's up there right now. It probably won't be on the front page for very long, but if you if you if you do a search for um, what book changed your, the way you think about life, just search yeah. that and you'll find it. I think. Let's turn it over now to a talk we're going to have with Nicholas Saravia about the EV market right now and some unique conditions happening. Shout out to Nicholas for being the fifth person to be a repeat. Uh, appearance on the podcast. Obviously, you and me have been on here. Yep. Stephanie's hosted twice. Sadarshan has been on twice. 
to comment. Uh, and now we have Nicholas as well. So let's turn it over to that interview. Let's dive in. Uh, Nicholas, thanks for coming back and talking to us again. Great to be here. Yeah. Um, so this is a, a really interesting topic because uh, I think we have some some geographical elements to what's going on, as well as some market elements that maybe we can talk about and look at where things are headed, what decisions companies are making. Um, how would you characterize what you see happening right now in the EV market? Uh, yeah. So we see an overall uh, upwards trend uh, with some problems. So yeah. For example, you might have seen in uh, the predictions issue uh, last year for, for this year uh, that China... Talking about your end of year trends that you talked exactly. about inside yeah. transportation for anybody who hasn't subscribed yet. Yeah, yeah. so uh, we, we wrote about uh, how in Q2 there might have been, a, there might be a uh, downwards trend in EV demand in China. Uh, primarily driven by uh, China's decision to halt the uh, graphite production uh, to lower uh, pollution uh, during the, the Winter Olympics. Uh, however, after that, China started a whole series of uh, measures to curve down um, co uh, COVID. Uh, mm -hmm. There are COVID zero policies uh, in place uh, throughout the country. Much more uh, restrictive than a, a lot of other places and even continuing on like in the longer term, more restrictive, right? That's right. So they had uh, initially, they had restrictions upon uh, movement of workers to and from uh, factories, uh, some of them sleeping in factories to be able to proceed with production. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, for some factories in, 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 in uh, Shanghai, uh, they had a complete halt uh, for two to three weeks so, uh, and uh, that especially affects, um, so the graphite uh, production especially affects the world because mm -hmm. uh, China has over 70% of production mm -hmm. uh, of the world's supply. So we, we saw a, um, a downward trend, in, uh, especially in April. So we and saw a ripple effect from the impact of reduced output of graphite production uh, that was not going into the supply chain and winding up at other vehicle makers, right? Right. That and a, and a combination of newer vehicles being produced uh, due to lockdowns. Uh, mm -hmm. So we saw, for example, NEO as a main manufacturer of EVs uh, mm -hmm. and their competitors all had uh, had massive drops in April. So NEO mm -hmm. was at 50% year over year. Mm -hmm. uh, and... Uh, Tesla was halted for about uh, 22 days altogether, uh, and uh, but we're now so talking seeing... about just Chinese Tesla production. There, you exactly, right? yeah. just just in China, uh, Giga Shanghai. Yeah, mm -hmm. so uh, we we're seeing a reverse trend now. Uh, so China has been inputting uh, a series of measures to uh, boost up production and uh, boost up sales. So Tesla has already reached 70% uh, pre-pandemic uh, production in Shanghai. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's getting back to normal. Uh, Neo and Li Auto and Xpeng also saw uh, increases in sales in May mm -hmm. uh, compared to last year. I see. Now, characterize for us, uh, how does China's state 
here in the context of this trend compared to other regions? Uh, have there been ripple effects? Is, is it isolated to China? Are there um, impacts from this that we expect to reach other markets? Or, or how, how would you compare what's going on there with elsewhere? Uh, there's less of uh, an impact of mm -hmm. that magnitude uh, in the West. So mm -hmm. um, the main issues uh, here and in Europe are uh, having to do with, uh, one, the supply of uh, wire harnessing. So for uh, auto manufacturing coming on uh, from Europe, uh, the the main uh, hub of the supply of wire harnessing was in uh, Ukraine. Mm -hmm. So they had trouble getting the supply out. Uh, and uh, throughout the, the conflict or the war, uh, they've been able to, manufacturers have been able to uh, arrange other uh, means of uh, getting that, those, uh, that supply out of the country. So well, that's, that's tangible. Sounds like a very difficult process. And definitely one that has a has a relatively long arc to it. That doesn't sound like something you'd be able to correct very quickly, right? Right, and uh, so that halted uh, models uh, from Toyota uh, mainly, uh, mm -hmm. and um, being produced on uh, Volkswagen as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're also seeing uh, impacts uh, overall. We're, we're seeing an overall uh, an, an increasing trend uh, mm -hmm. in the West. Uh, so, but the main constraint, uh, especially mm -hmm. in the U.S., is manufacturing. So, you're, you're, and just to clarify, you're talking about a general upward trend in demand, right? In demand yeah. and, and sales, yeah. In sales, yeah. Uh, so, um, the main constraint, especially in the U.S., is being able to manufacture to meet that demand. Um, mm -hmm. So, most uh, factories are not equipped uh, to handle EV production. They're mostly for mm -hmm. uh, internal combustion engines. Mm -hmm. So Ford uh, recently announced a 3.7 billion uh, investment to refactor uh, one of their uh, sites. Uh, so that's that's one thing that companies are doing and uh, trying to uh, meet that demand. So Ford, you may recall, at the beginning of the year had to uh, stop the, uh, the pre-orders for its F-150 Lightning uh, vehicle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, it's we see the same thing happening in Europe. So uh, Croatian uh, uh, vehicle maker Remak, which makes uh, luxury uh, vehicles uh, on its own, but also jointly with Porsche and other uh, manufacturers. Mm -hmm. uh, so they received a uh, uh, five hundred thirty-seven million dollar uh, round from uh, SoftBank Vision Fund and yeah. uh, Goldman Sachs. So major uh, investment. I, I wonder, Nicholas, could you tell me what are the what does the timeline look like for getting these facilities up and running and producing after this investment occurs? And I'd like to also hear how does that compare with the capacity that Tesla, of course, already has? I mean, I know we already had we saw a big opening of a you know the new Tesla factory in in Texas recently. Uh, where 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 is Tesla at, and how would you compare these automakers that are making these investments with with Texas? excuse me, with Tesla's existing production capacity? So companies that are refactoring their sites yeah. uh, are targeting two to three years out yeah. to uh, have that output uh, that they expect to meet mm -hmm. uh, current demand and future demand as well. Mm -hmm. But uh, Tesla has the uh, 
has an advantage because uh, they've been uh, building factories for years and they're thinking one step ahead into, uh, into mining and sourcing uh, the nickel and cobalt and lithium that they need. Mm-hmm. This came up when we were talking about Tesla before, I think, and I, I'd like to hear some more about that. How, how unique is Tesla's approach to solving these uh, resource needs? Um, is, are there any comparable circumstances we could look at, whether it's in the auto industry or other industries, um, or, or is Tesla making a, a really innovative move here? Move here? Uh, it's it's pretty much uh, innovative uh, mm-hmm. to go uh, with the a full supply chain uh, mm-hmm. into mining itself. Uh, We're talking about actually owning mining operations potentially, right? That's what they're considering, right? Yeah. So so Elon Musk has uh, has um, been public about considering that option. He met with uh, the Indonesian head of state to discuss uh, that and also uh, production. Uh, locally mm-hmm. so uh it's it's pretty unique but uh we recently uh yesterday actually uh there was news of byd uh the chinese ev company uh that also supplies tesla uh mm. with battery cells or is excuse me is aiming to supply tesla I'm trying uh, to supply them. okay yeah yeah uh it's um it's looking into buying uh, six mines in Africa, reportedly, wow. uh, lithium mines. Wow. Hmm. So super cool to hear about uh, the Remark company that you mentioned previously. I'm curious if there are any other EV companies, um, maybe some that we can uh, give to our VC community uh, with more startup news or funding news, I should say. Are there any more companies that we should keep our eyes on? Uh, sure, there there are a number of uh, of companies. There's one that's called uh, Uptera that uh, is building a solar uh, car. Mm-hmm. So that that's pretty interesting. If they're uh, able to do that, it'll, it'll change the game. Wow, awesome! That's that's pretty heavy. I've never I, I didn't realize something like that was in in the works in a in a real way. Uh, how how close are they to realizing their vision for that? Or how would you characterize where they're at in that process? It's it's still early stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. We're a few years away from that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, uh, thanks. What, what do you think? Like, just looking forward, um, do you see the the current issues in China? Are, are things getting resolved? Um, what is in terms of getting? I mean, supply chain. Maybe it's very difficult to make a prediction about how soon supply chain issues will get resolved here. But how would you characterize how close we are to getting these things corrected? And what signals would you look for to see that things are getting on a better track uh, in that, in yes. that uh, space? So I'm, I'm seeing uh, uh, in terms of correction uh, for the supply, uh, mm-hmm. companies are making other arrangements, uh, especially mm-hmm and wire, wire harnessing, mm-hmm. uh, but also, uh, as you said, uh, in China, um, they're inputting a, a series of, of measures. So uh, one of them would be the tax breaks for uh, smaller, low-cost uh, electric and non-electric vehicles uh, mm-hmm. under 40000 equivalent mm-hmm. uh, dollars. So yeah. I, I think that's going to have a major impact in small EVs. Yeah. I mean, we know we saw them in, in the U.S. at least the the rebates that people were able to get or that was the rebates people were able to get for buying electrical ve- electric vehicles for a while really had an impact in driving up uh, 
demand for a while. So um, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, great. Well, what are you going to be watching for the rest of the year in this space? Is anything on the horizon that you think could be a, a big change or are all of these going to be gradual shifts and uh, year, two year, three year uh, timelines that we watch? Yeah, so I'm expecting more refactoring of yeah. manufacturing sites, uh, especially here in the U.S., mm -hmm. more uh, in Europe as well, mm -hmm. and uh, more companies getting into uh, the full supply chain. So um, more companies getting at looking at uh, mining. Yeah. yeah, especially after Musk has taken such a public stand about potentially exploring that. That be really it's something to follow. Uh, so yeah, thanks for thanks for coming on here to talk about this today, Nicholas. Yeah, thanks, Nicholas. Yeah. Always awesome. Yeah, this is our first second um, repeated um, guest, right? That we've had, Brian. Um, no, we've had more. we've had one person on uh, True. before. Second, uh, yeah, second, I believe. Uh, oh my gosh, you're killing me. I'm gonna have to go back and look <laughs> at who it was because uh, well, Gia was supposed to be on yes, last yeah. week. Uh, we we unfortunately had to had to reschedule that. So, um, well, yeah, it's super cool to follow along with these trends. Um, yep. So I'm excited to see more uh, repeated guests on the show. Uh, well, so you're, you're lucky because Jigni will be on next week, coming back to talk That's about gonna be another good one. Mm -hmm. It's gonna be a fun one. Yeah. All right. Thank you, everybody. Uh, and if you're interested in following what's going on in the EV space, make sure to follow Inside Transportation, which Nicholas writes as a newsletter every day. You can also find that content up on inside.com, uh, where there is news every day um, coming on throughout the day. And we hope to see you on there and ask any questions you may have. Nicholas will be on there to answer them. All right, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to episode 13 of Inside Weekly Trends. We covered a lot of ground today and also just want to give a huge shout out to everybody that submitted questions and news on our website. Uh, we want to continue to spotlight everybody uh, that's using inside.com. So throughout the weekend, throughout the next week, before we hop on for episode 14, please share some more stories with us. All right, see you next week. <laughs>